good to be with the people of God this morning. As I was walking to church today on my very short commute to church, um, after being a vagabond for three, three weeks visiting different churches um, in different parts of the continent, um, such a warming thought to think I belong to a certain people. I have a people. I have brothers and sisters, and I know their name. I hope that warms your hearts as you think about that this morning, what you've gathered yourself to, if you've gathered with people you belong to. Our sermon text this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. You should have a challenge card this morning with the verse on the back. So let's hear God's word together. 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Oh, Father, we are so thankful that you have gathered us this morning. Even more, we are so thankful that Jesus is our great shepherd and what a shepherd he is. His watch care over our lives is perfect. He is the shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. And even now, he continues in his work at your right hand, interceding for us, bringing our needs to you with his scarred hands. And so we come to you with boldness and faith because Jesus is our mediator. We know that his blood has been shed for our sins and that you are for us and that you will meet us this morning in your word and give us exactly what we Need And so we pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. So we are at the beginning of what it seems like a, a new season of ministry here at Fort William. And as we're entering into this new season of ministry at Fort William, we're, we're marking off this, this beginning new season of ministry with four ambitions. And we've been working through these a bit this summer. Our first ambition is to add a second service. So September 10th, we're going to have two services, one at 9 o'clock and one at 10.45. And, and Evan, two weeks ago, did an admirable job of, of preaching on our ambition. Our ambition is not just to add a second service. Our ambition is to do more ministry, that we might meet people with the word about Jesus and so help them. And so Evan made a challenge you should have that challenge card. It's the, the green challenge card. Um, I will commit to attending both services twice a month for the sake of ministry. So that challenge still stands. We have the goal of having 30 individuals sign up to do that ministry. So please consider that. Our second ambition is to add a second pastor, and that's going to be our focus this morning, and you should have the challenge card that's going to be about this ambition. Our third ambition is to build up children's ministry, and I preached about that like a month ago, preaching on Deuteronomy chapter 6, and that challenge still stands. We've made great progress. I believe we're at about 80% of, of meeting our needs, but we still have more need in that regard, and it's this orangish yellow challenge card. And so the challenge still stands. We need more workers yet. And last, we, ready to, we aim to ready ourselves so that we can add more 
space. So, if you want more information about those challenge cards, there's, there's stuff at the welcome desk you can pick up. Uh, you can also re-listen to those sermons that are on YouTube and on our website. Um, this is what we're doing as a church. So with all of this before us, I think it's right to say that there are, are feelings of excitement among us. I know I can feel it as we meet as elders, as a team. There's excitement as we discuss these, these plans, and I've tasted it as I've met and talked with many of you. And so we have this big project in front of us, and we get the joy and pleasure as a people of chasing after this project. And not just chase after, but with God's help, with God's provision, hopefully get it done. Accomplish it. Now, as we think about it, excitement is good. In fact, we can better say excitement is necessary. We need fresh thoughts of zeal in our arms again and again and again if we're to move forward as a people. For if we are, are languid and slow and tired and dull, the work will go nowhere. So this is good, and it's a gift from God, and we should treasure excitement. But here's the thing about excitement. We need more than just excitement. We need excitement supplemented with sober-mindedness. We need zeal guided by knowledge. We need enthusiasm backed by steadfast resolve to get it done and to stick with the project. And so in order to accomplish these ends this morning, this challenge sermon is going to be a bit different. So if you look at your challenge card this morning, you'll notice that you're not signing on to to fill a ministry post like children's ministry or show up somewhere like attending both services, 9 and 1045 on a Sunday morning. Rather, it's a challenge to memorize 1 Timothy 4.16. That's your challenge card for this week. You need to memorize this verse. Now, why? Well, I want this verse stuck in your brain. And I want this verse stuck in your brain so that when it's stuck in your brain, it begins to change your desires and your heart, that you would begin to desire a pastor like one described in 1 Timothy 4.16, and that it wouldn't stop there, that you begin to pray over this verse, asking that the Lord would be so kind as to provide a pastor that fits with this verse. And when this verse is stuck in our brains... And having influence over our heart and our desires and our prayers. The hope is that this verse will guide us as a corporate body this fall as we begin to make decisions together as a church about calling a pastor, a second pastor to our church. So that's the challenge. Now we need to understand 1 Timothy 4.6. So 1 Timothy 4.16, I think, is a verse that captures the essence of pastoral ministry. It is a verse that gets to the very marrow of what a pastor is and what a pastor does with his life. And every pastor should have this verse engraved on his heart. And every church should know, well know this verse, so that they might know what is at stake in pastoral ministry. So if you're looking at your Bibles this morning, you'll find that 1 Timothy 4.16 comes to us in a barrage of commands from Paul to Timothy. And if you take the time to survey the whole of 1 Timothy, if you just page through your Bibles, you will find that this book is full of commands and exhortations and instruction. Paul has a lot to say to Timothy, this younger man in the faith, and Timothy had need to hear all that Paul was saying, for Timothy was in this this difficult ministry situation. 
Now, Timothy was in this difficult ministry situation because Paul put him there. You have to understand what kind of guy Paul was like. Paul liked to work hard, and he liked to do difficult work, and he didn't mind putting his ministry partners and ministry associates in hard positions, in difficult work. And so we have to ask, as we try to understand our verse, well, what is so difficult about Timothy's position? We can say a couple of things. First of all, we can say there were people who had gained teaching and influence in this church that Timothy was ministering to that should not have had teaching or influence over the church. Paul starts his letter by saying this. 1 Timothy 1, 3, and 4. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So this makes ministry difficult if you're dealing with people who are teaching who shouldn't be teaching. And Timothy had to deal with that. Second... There was a contingent of folks in this church, apparently caught up in some sort of ages and where they favored the old and looked down on those who are younger. And because of this, some sort of ageism, there were folks, a contingent of folks in this church who were tempted to look down on Timothy, his authority and his work in the church. And so Paul says, chapter 4, verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth. That would make ministry difficult if people are looking down on you with condescension. And then to add on to those factors, we've got false teaching, we've got condescension, the spirit of it. And as we think about all the other things that Timothy would have been doing, he'd been teaching and preaching, reading God's word in public and in private, counseling, all of those things. Paul adds another burden to Timothy's shoulders. He must bear the burden of administration in this church. So as you look at 1 Timothy, we get the, the New Testament's clearest explanation of how the church should function. And so Paul writes about elders and what elders do and deacons and what deacons do. He even writes about widows and who is a widow and how they should be cared for. Paul saddles Timothy with all of these administrative realities within the church. So here is Timothy, and he needs help. So what does Paul do? Well, as any good leader of men, Paul helps Timothy. He helps him by commanding him and instructing him and exhorting him. And so as you read this letter, he gives Timothy insight into how false teachers work, what they're doing, how they're teaching, why they teach that way. And then he gives them aid on how to deal with those false teachers. Paul, Paul gives instruction about officers in the church. He doesn't leave Timothy out to dry and how to... to set up this church. Who should be appointed? Who shouldn't be appointed? Paul gives specific instructions. He makes demands on Timothy. Very clearly, very sharply, Paul calls Timothy to stick to the word. Keep preaching. Keep teaching. Keep reading the scriptures and don't stop. Persist in this. Paul even takes time to get really nosy with Timothy. Paul was a nosy sort of guy, and so he starts sticking his finger in all sorts of Timothy's, parts of Timothy's heart. He covers topics like money. Are you greedy for gain, Timothy? Is that what you really want? Are you content with what God has given you? What about your sexual purity, Timothy? How about anger? 
How are you dealing with God's people? Are you an angry man? And what about love for God? And so as we hear all of this from Paul to Timothy, I think what chapter 4 verse 16 does is this. It sums up all of the commands, all of the instructions, all of the exhortations that Paul gives to Timothy. These words, Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the marrow of what a pastor is and what a pastor does. And if Timothy is to succeed in this difficult environment, he needs to obey these words, these words. So let's look at 1 Timothy 4.16. And we're going to work through our text by asking two questions, applying it to our situation. So the first question is this, what are we looking for in a pastor? What are we looking for in a pastor? What do we want to see in a pastor? Second question, why should we care? Why should we give 40 minutes on a Sunday morning to think about this? Why are we getting a challenge card about this? Why does this matter for me? So let's start with the first question. What are we looking for in a pastor? Well, as we look at our verse, we can see that Paul divides up the pastor into to two chunks. It's like he takes out his knife and he cuts the pastor into two. He says this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. So there is the life of the pastor, and then there is the doctrine of the pastor. There is what he is and does with his life, and there is what he teaches. So what are we looking for in a pastor? Well, our first answer is this. We are looking for a life. We're looking for a life. Let's think about what Paul has in mind for Timothy. He says, keep a close watch on yourself. Now, when Paul said this to Timothy, I don't think he meant that Timothy should set up a mirror in his bedroom or in his study, set it up, and sit down in front of that mirror for hours on end, staring at his own face. That would be kind of creepy and strange. Looking at his face to see if he could see some sort of imperfection. No, I don't think that is what Paul has in mind. Some introspection is good for the Christian life, but this isn't what Paul has for Timothy. Rather, a different image helps us think about this command that Paul gives to Timothy. So when on vacation, our family, we spent a week in the Rocky Mountains. We drove to Colorado, and we had the privilege of spending time just in the Rocky Mountains, looking at all the peaks and the glory. And we spent a lot of time just with the kids talking about glory. This is what glory is. And if you really want to experience the mountains, you've got to get out of your car, and you've got to start hiking. And so that's what we did. We pushed our kids to the limit, hiking trail after trail, after trail. And if you're hiking in the mountains, the trails aren't flat, they're, they're steep, going up, going down. And so what we would often do as we're hiking along with is we'd be shouting things like, keep a close watch on your feet, walk carefully, step carefully. Most often we would say, when we, especially when we're going down, go slow. I think this is what Paul has in mind for Timothy. Paul is preaching to him. He's saying something like this. Timothy, you are in some difficult terrain. You're dealing with difficult people. There's ministry pressures on you. There are all sorts of tasks that need to get done. You might feel incompetent at some of these things that I'm calling you to do. And there is, of course, your own heart that you have to deal with. There's good things in there, and there's bad things in there. And this is what you need to do in the midst of all of your circumstances and all of these situations. You need to step carefully. You need to watch your steps so that you do not take a tumble. 
So what does that look like for Timothy to watch his step, to, to hike carefully? Well, Paul fills it in throughout the whole letter. And Paul has a lot in mind for Timothy with this command. We get a sense by just reading verses from 1 Timothy. So go up in your Bibles to chapter 4, verse 12. Paul says this, Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. We gain even more as we turn back to the very beginning of the letter. Chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says this, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And we gain even more by turning to the end of the letter. Paul ends this letter by calling Timothy to this. Chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Just take stock of the words that Paul uses with Timothy. So go back to chapter 4, verse 12. Paul talks about Timothy's speech. How must Timothy walk carefully, hike carefully? He must consider the words that come out of his mouth, the content of his words, and not just the content of his words, but how those words come out. He also uses the word conduct in chapter 4, verse 12. Paul has in mind the deeds of Timothy's life, what he is doing with his life. What are your hands doing, Timothy? What's the fruit of your hands? What are you producing with your life? And Paul also talks a lot about virtue. He talks about virtue more than anything else. He uses words like faith and love and steadfastness, godliness, gentleness. What Paul envisions here is you can think of a tapestry. And these virtues have become so ingrained in Timothy's life, they're, they're woven into the fabric of his life. They've been imprinted on his soul. You look at Timothy and what you see is an incarnation of faith and steadfastness, godliness, and gentleness. That's what Paul wants for Timothy. But as we think about this, we can't stop with those words. We need to notice something else. And this is where it gets really interesting. None of these words, we've got speech, we've got conduct, we've got virtue. None of these things can be possessed in some sort of static way. So think of a to-do list. I've got to get faith. Got faith now, check. I'm moving on to steadfastness. Now I need to get steadfastness, check. Moving on to love. No. As you read these verses, you see there's an orientation to how Paul is thinking. Paul demands a lively relationship with these realities. Go back to chapter 4, verse 12. Timothy must set an example in these things. Or chapter 1, verse 5. Timothy is charged to get after these things. Or, or chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. Timothy must flee all of the realities that are opposed to these things and pursue these things with everything he has. And Paul uses martial imagery. Fight the good fight of faith. Or something you could think about if you were rock climbing. Take hold of the eternal life. There's a relationship between Timothy and these realities. There's pursuit of them. And all of this helps us as we consider the calling of a pastor. When we consider a pastor's life, we aren't performing a safety inspection like you'd find happening at a Canadian tiger. We aren't putting a man up on a hoist, pulling out our checklist and mindlessly working through it. Is there tread on the tires? 
Yeah, there's enough tread. How about the windshield? Is there a crack in it? Is it clear? Yeah, it's clear. What's next? How about the exhaust? Is there a leak? No. I guess we're good. This man can be for us. No, Paul wants something more. We're, we're attempting to do something difficult and, and important. Just think, as we ask questions, as we try to observe and consider and listen, what are we trying really to do? We're trying to discover, trying to discern the status of someone's heart. We're really asking questions like these. Where is this man going with his life? Is that where I want to go? What does this man love? Do I love that? Should I love that? What does this man hate? Should I hate that? What is this man pursuing? Is that what we should pursue? What does this man really want? Is that what we want? Where is he going? Is that where I want to go to? We're trying to discern the heart in the midst of all of these words and his orientation to what Paul says in front of us. Is he fighting good, fine things? So that's Paul's first answer. What are we looking for? We're looking for a light. Paul gives us a second answer. He writes, keep a close watch on yourself. So we've got that. We've got an understanding of that. And on the teaching. And so in 1 Timothy, teaching is important. It's a prominent theme throughout the book. The whole letter circles around this theme, never leaving it behind. Really, the issue why this book was written, because of teaching. There were folks who were in the church who shouldn't have been teaching in the church, and they shouldn't have been teaching in the church because we learn in chapter 1, verse 4, they were teaching myths and endless genealogies, which were leading the people of God into speculation, not in love for God. And these teachers were unfit to teach because, and Paul pulls no punches here, chapter 1, verse 7, they were without understanding, either in what they were saying or the things about which they made confident so Paul tells us that these people were foolish. The church was being plagued by foolish teachers. They didn't even know what they were teaching. But as we continue to read Paul, we find that the threat is far more serious than that. As Paul looks to the future, he sees something much worse coming. He writes in chapter 4, verse 1, saying this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. There's foolish teachers, and Paul says, something worse is coming. Men are going to be preaching the doctrine of demons. And so Paul sees the church's trouble. And what is his solution to this? Well, it's teaching. Teaching is the solution to all the bad teaching. And so Paul says, keep a close watch on the teaching. And so two things can be said about what Paul has in mind for Timothy here. First thing is this. It must be healthy teaching. The church needs healthy teaching. What makes healthy teaching healthy? Well, healthy teaching is Bible-driven teaching. It's Bible-saturated. It's Bible-dependent. The Bible is the book that is taught. The Bible is the book that is leaned upon. For this reason, Paul comes to Timothy and exhorts him. Chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And what is Paul saying? Timothy, your book is the Bible. It's your book. Give it to God's people again and again. And again. But healthy teaching is more than just that. Healthy teaching draws the right conclusions from the Bible. Anyone can quote the Bible, 
But the Bible must be rightly understood and the, the right conclusions must be drawn about that Bible as it connects to all the other Bible verses. So healthy teaching has to be orthodox and true. It has to, to meet the standard of doctrine. And Paul's very concerned about this. Paul taught Timothy the conclusions that he was to have about reading the Bible. And Timothy was to keep to it. And so Paul says this, chapter 6, verse 20, O Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard it. To go on, healthy teaching is Bible-dependent, it's orthodox, but it's also directional. Healthy teaching goes where the Scriptures go. And where did the Scriptures go? Just think about what Timothy would have had for his Bible. It would have been the Old Testament Scriptures. Where did they go? They go to the Lord Jesus Christ. What does healthy teaching do? It magnifies our Savior. It lifts Him up before others so that others might see Him and treasure Him and love Him and know Him. As you think about it, this is what Paul does with Timothy throughout this letter. What is he doing? He is lifting up the Lord Jesus before Timothy. He says, chapter 1, verse 15, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What is Paul doing? He's magnifying Jesus in His mercy. What does Timothy need to do? He needs to magnify Jesus in His mercy. But the directionality doesn't stop there. As we magnify Jesus... We magnify God Himself. Where does Scripture go? It ultimately goes through Jesus to the glory of God. And so Paul says this to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 17, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So keep a close watch on the teaching. What does Paul have in mind? Healthy teaching. Bible-dependent. jesus Focus to the glory of God, drawing the right conclusions. Second thing that we can say is the one who teaches the healthy teaching must be competent and able to teach. So in chapter 3, verse 2, as Paul describes elders, he gives this calling. He must be able to teach. So there's competency involved, and certainly there's competency in public speaking. He must be able to speak in front of others. He must be able to make a logical argument and, and hopefully make that argument passionately and persuasively. But as we think about it, that's just the baseline of what Paul has. Paul demands more of, of pastors. The ability isn't just a matter of public speaking. Paul wants this. He wants pastors to take the Word of God to its intended destination. That ability to take God's Word and apply it to people. So think of a bush guy. What does a good bush guy do? Well, he doesn't get lost in the woods. He doesn't meander around aimlessly for hours and hours and hours. No, he goes out in the woods and he sets a course and he gets where he's going. And if he's guiding someone, he takes those with him to their intended destination. And that's the calling of a pastor. He can bring the word of God to its intended destination and that is the human heart. So a pastor must first of all have the God-given ability to get to the bottom of what the Scriptures teach. He's got to be able to understand the text. This is what the text says. This is what the text is doing. And then he must be able to take that and apply it. So we can fill this out. He must be able to trouble someone's conscience. He must be able to wound somebody's pride. 
He must be able to exhort for action and encourage the weak and the tired. He must be able to console the grieving, and he must be able to whack over the head the stubbornly foolish person. He must be able, as Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So when we're talking about this ability, this competency, what we're really talking about is a pastor knows how to use the word of God on the people of God. He knows how to use it. Think of a carpenter. A good carpenter knows how to use his tools. Or think of a good mechanic. He knows how to use his tools. And a pastor must know how to use the word of God. As we think about it, that's what we need as the people of God. We need men who know how to use the Word of God for our, our good. So what are we looking for in the pastor? Well, we're looking for a life, and then we're looking for teaching. Life and teaching. First Timothy 4.16 is so helpful because it just sets it before us so clearly. We know what we're doing as a people when we're looking for a pastor. We're not confused. Now we can move to our second question. Well, why should we care about this at all? Well, I assume a few answers come to your mind. Well, we should care because we want a good hire. Good hires are good. We should care because we want our church to flourish and grow. We should care because we have particular needs and we need these particular needs met, and that would be good. And and, and that's all good. Who doesn't want a good hire? Who doesn't want the church to flourish We have needs, and we need needs met. But here's the thing. This isn't where Paul ultimately lands as he's talking with Timothy. So Paul gives us the beginning of this verse. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, and then Paul finishes with this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your ears. Sit on those words for a minute. They sound strange. Timothy's life, Timothy's teaching has something to do with the church's salvation. Your pastor's teaching, your pastor's life has something to do with your salvation. Paul says, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What does Paul mean? Sounds really strange to us. Well, Paul isn't committing some sort of gospel confusion. It is Jesus who saves. It is Jesus who died and who was raised. It is Jesus who forgives sins. It is Jesus who saves us from the wrath to come. Jesus and Jesus alone. And Paul puts this forward throughout the letter in in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Very clear on this. So Timothy can't do those things. No pastor can do any of these things. So what is Paul saying? Well, he says this because he understands how salvation works and how the church is constituted and how the Christian life is to be lived. Think about it like this. Timothy's part in salvation is this. His job is to point to the Savior. He is tasked with preaching Christ and Him crucified. He is tasked with declaring the authoritative word on Christ's behalf, speaking as if Christ was speaking. He is tasked with guarding the word of God from Error. He is duty-bound to exemplify the Savior and show, show God's people how one ought to follow the Savior themselves. And here is the rub. This is what Paul is getting after. If Timothy were to stop preaching the Savior and to stop living for the Savior, what would that mean for those who are under his care? If the shepherd goes astray, where do the sheep go as well? And that's what Paul has in mind. He has in mind the shipwreck, the trouble. If pastors go astray, the flock will follow as well. For by doing so, you will save both yourselves 
and your ears. Paul pushes on us here, doesn't he? Paul doesn't think like we often do. He doesn't conceive of the Christian life as just a, a, a me and Jesus sort of thing. Just me and Jesus doing, doing our thing off by ourselves. He understands the Christian life in churchly terms. You have been saved into a people and you belong to a people and you are with a people. Because you belong to a people, what does Paul do? He places great emphasis in the office and work of the pastor, so much so that he says this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So what does this mean for us? It means we should really care about calling a pastor into our midst. In fact, we could put it like this. You should care about the selection of a pastor as much as you care about your own soul. And you should care about your own soul a lot because your soul, your life, really matters. And if you really care about your life, your soul, you will really care about this selection of a pastor. So brothers and sisters, here's the challenge. You've got this challenge card. And if you didn't get one this morning, there should be more on the welcome desk. I want you to take this challenge card home with you and I want you to memorize it. Memorize it. Really do it and do what it takes to get this verse stuck in your brain. Some of us can memorize really easily. Things just stick in the brain. Others of us have to work really hard at memorization. That's me. I have to work really hard at remembering anything. And so do what it takes to memorize it. Take some tape and, and tape it to your mirror in the morning as you brush your teeth. Say it five times while you brush your teeth. Tape it to your, your dash of your car as you drive to work. Say it ten times on your commute. Put it in your back pocket. Carry it around. Do whatever it takes. Put it on your fridge. Put it on your desk at work. Teach it to your kids. That's a really helpful way. Work at it. Nail it down. Let's have it. And let's have this memorized as a people so that it would begin to shape our hearts and our desires, that we would want a pastor like what Paul describes here in the book of First Timothy. And not just that we would want it, but that we would begin to pray for it as a people, that we would be united in what we are praying for. We want a pastor who has a life and who has teaching, so that he might be an aid and a good for us for eternity. We want this verse fully digested. We need to digest this together so when we come to meet as a congregation to work together towards calling a pastor, we're on the same page. We know what we want. We know what we're doing. We know where we're going. So here's the challenge. Take this card home with you and memorize it. Get it stuck in your brain. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your good word. We need it. We need to be reformed by it. We need to be taught by it. We need to be informed by it. We're so thankful for this one verse in the book of 1 Timothy because it's so clarifying as to what we want and what we need and where we're going. And so, Father, we ask now Would you give us a willingness, and not just a willingness, but a stick to to memorize this verse and get it stuck in our heads? And we ask that you would do what only you can do, is that you would change our hearts with it and our desires, and that you would prompt us to pray over it. And we ask even now that you would supply us a pastor who fits with this verse.
that we might be benefited by him. You are the God who supplies all of our needs, and we trust that you will give us what we need. And so we pray this in Jesus' name.